Welcome to HBW's Over the Counter podcast. I'm David Ridley and I'll be chatting with industry experts and insiders about the latest trends, issues and intelligence in consumer healthcare. In this episode, HBW Insight talks to BSS Consulting's Birgit Schulboer about her stellar career in consumer healthcare. Up until recently, Schulbauer was Global Vice President for Johnson & Johnson's Self-Care Franchise and President of the Association of the European Self-Care Industry. Now setting up on her own, Schulbauer reflects on her career highlights and what it takes to be a leader and on her role as the ASGP's first female president during a time of unprecedented change. Hi, Birgit. Thank you for coming on Over the Counter. How are you? Hi, David. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Nice to meet you. Very good. Excited to, to work with you today. <laughs> it's great to have you. And, you know, you've had a very uh, long and interesting career in the consumer health industry. Obviously, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, that and also your new venture as a consultant. Um, but, yeah, so... Do you want to just maybe introduce yourself, but maybe just really give a, a kind of brief CV, if you like, of sure. uh, of where how you've got to this point, and then we can dive into those points in a bit more detail. Happy to do so, David. Thank you. Well, I worked um, 38 years in in the um, beauty and later uh, self care OTC industry and and a bit of pharma. So and I, I used to work for big corporations, Colgate, uh, L'Oreal, and then uh, in '92 I started to work for Pfizer Consumer Health in Germany, and uh, which got later acquired by J&J. So altogether, between Pfizer and and J&J, I, I, I was 31 years with them. Um, obviously, uh, fabulous companies, which I all I all love them. Um, and I basically, my my career is is a relatively straight one. I worked in marketing all my all my way up in, in brand management um, and then got commercial responsibility. So basically marketing sales and and, and strategy. Um, obviously also and at some point general management roles. And I started in Germany. I am German. Then I had DACH responsibilities in Eastern Europe. Um, then I had I I had Europe, Middle East, Africa, and at a later point I had global responsibilities. Uh, which also gave me the opportunity, you know, as uh, uh, um, to travel a lot and to learn and work in in, in more countries. Um, I personally worked, lived and worked in in um, of course Germany, France, Czechoslovakia, and US. So um, I think that's one of the nice personal aspects of this kind of career. That's yeah, it that sounds really interesting. And so now you have left the industry in terms of the companies and you've set up your own venture haven't you bss consulting yeah uh well i mean the last six years i was also president of our of the htp of our industry association which um gave me of course a, a lot of other insights and connections and and opportunities to interact with uh, with people outside of change so that was also very enriching and i felt like you know uh, change had decided to spin off the consumer business, and given my personal age and and longevity of my career, I felt that if you want to build a new company, you eventually also want to build that with new talent, with the next 
next generation if you want. And so um, I, I found that was a good moment to to leave J and J, um, which is obviously I mean it will always be part of my heart if you want, but also um, at, at, to rethink my own life. You know, at some point I mean this point comes, and and you want to enjoy more flexibility, uh, new freedom. But I also felt that um, I've been so long in this industry, and I I think I have a a good global knowledge of it. And I felt if I just stop abruptly now and just do sports and learn new languages and travel, etc., um, it would be a bit of a pity to to let it all go. It, it feels a bit like a waste. And also, uh, such a cutoff is to, is very abrupt then. And and that's that, that gave me the idea to start with BSS Consulting because I thought I have knowledge and I have something that I can give. And BSS Consulting in principle is 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 offering. Uh, consulting for the for the self-care industry. Of course, my expertise is mostly OTC in our fairness, um, marketing strategy, um, commercial commercial activity. But I also offer myself uh, for leadership. I do have a long leadership experience and I went through many changes and transformations and led my teams or my, 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 my uh, department through it. And so I think that those are areas where I do have something to give. So that's it. And it's fun. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, we'll, like I said, we'll probably talk a bit more about um, about this kind of thing. And obviously the ASGP, as you mentioned, really important part of, of your career. But maybe um, you've got some personal highlights. Is there anything when you look back and you think, um, you know, that's really stand out over that over that time? I think there's one underlying thing, which I, in all fairness, I also could have gotten in other industries. But I always wanted to to learn to learn new languages and cultures and uh, and work in in international teams. And obviously, uh, the kind of companies I worked for in this particular industry gave me the opportunity to 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 to, to work in different languages, uh, to learn new cultures to work in very diverse teams, which I always find very enriching. So, I mean, I was I think I was living diversity before it became the name of the game. I I was living I was building diverse teams because I thought it's just more enriching. It's it has better outcomes, to be quite honest, from a your business side, but also uh, it's just rewarding as a person. So so I think that's something that I was going for uh, in principle, independent of this industry, but and, and but it was a big motivator for me and 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 helped me. Now in the in profession on the professional side, highlights of my career were certainly I was from my area of responsibility, I was leading a number of very big in, integrations or reorganizations, like you know um, when Pfizer bought Warner Lambert, we integrated the Warner Lambert consumer health business into Pfizer. Then um, Pharmacia integration, which brought us Nicorette and Regain. Then, which is also an interesting experience. Then we were acquired ourselves, so and we uh, integrated our business into J and Um And and then later, of course, you know, I mean, all the 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 transformations that our industry was going through including digitization of marketing i mean if somebody worked in marketing in in, in 2012 um i guess it's pretty pointless to start to, to to come back and try to do it now with everything that has changed so i think that was something really rewarding something else that i loved was in my last global role developing 
all these strategic plans for for developing countries. So we did China, India, Indonesia, Middle East, North Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa. So I mean, you learn so much, and and it's it's just also it's 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 very rewarding because in these, for example, in a country like South Africa, you you can see how much self care can help people because self care is. I think somebody said last year at the conference, self-care is in many cases our only access to healthcare. And I, I think that's a sentence to be kept in mind. So so that was really rewarding. And I was I was pretty happy that I could obviously in such a strategic marketing role, you do a lot of, of BD work and you analyze a lot of companies, which nobody ever knows, of course. But um, I could lead from uh, for the marketing side too acquisitions which were pretty successful for us which was the, which was JB Chemicals Dr Mom in Russia uh which which had a good development until until the political trouble and then also in India which is um, a rock star i think um when we bought it it was like 18 million in 2013 or 14 and now it's 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 targeting 200 million which is um in India you don't have that many big brands so um that's that's very rewarding stuff, and those are highlights of my career, if you want. Those are great highlights. So let me let you... me add you one thing. You know what else? I should I, I, sh I should not forget that. What I always loved, and again, that's maybe a bit industry independent, is leading people and developing talent. Um, because uh, if you have a certain maturity, your your biggest excitement is not only to see your product on a shelf. Your biggest excitement is see the people that that you recruited as young talents growing up the career ladder. That's very rewarding. So over the time that you've worked in the industry in all these roles, how have you seen the industry change? You mentioned digital health. Mm. That's an obvious one. You know, digitization has, has changed things. I think really in the last few years in particular, you've seen that really kicking in, I think, rather than being something that is talked about a lot. I think you're really seeing it change the way that um, consumers interact with their health and also the way that then companies, you know, try and offer solutions to consumers. Um, you know, how else has it changed in, in, the, in the time that you've worked in it, would you say? Well, as I told you, I started in 92 at Pfizer. And there was a time when OTC was, um, was always, we always called us the poor relative, you know. So it was always a bit of an, an appendix of Big Pharma. They had it naturally because some of their products became OT, uh, got OTC status, but it, it didn't have any strategic importance for them. And that's how it was treated. And I think there were a lot of people never believed in that part of the business. Um, also from outside the industry, it was unimportant. Um, and then I think over time, it did gain importance and people started to also I would say not all, but some some uh, policymakers started to understand that this plays a role and that it's it's part of the continuum. Um, and this obviously has evolved. So I think the, the from the the market perspective, things have changed and people understand now that self care have, has a role and it's not just a nice to have. It also it saves a lot of it, sa it saves a lot of money to the healthcare systems who, who desperately need that. It saves also a lot of of healthcare professionals' time. I mean, we all know we don't have enough doctors and nurses, so it's good to, for them to focus on the on the very uh, severe stuff. And and of course, also it helps people to 
I mean, to be to be less away from work, so to to make uh, economies more 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 productive. So so I think the acceptance of self care has completely changed. Now the way how you do marketing there has has of course changed a lot, and I think self care always uh, OTC I would say specifically OTC always has this this middle role between CPG on one hand and pharma on the other hand, and I think that's that's good and bad, right? Um, but but um, I think what what we clearly have seen is I mean there has always been a bit of a, a up and down on how important is professional marketing. I think at the at the moment it's 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 given more importance again. Uh, there was a time when companies would only go TV TV TV, and then there was obviously there started a time when when digital came in, and I guess. We were struggling a little bit. What's the the right media plan? Because also we, the, the industry, also the CPC industry, and nobody was 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 used to solve such fast change. And I think this has this has evolved. And of course now, and I think that's particularly relevant for OTC. In if you think of OTC, it's most of our products, not all of them, but many products are not just daily consumption. You take these products when you have a need, and so it also it doesn't make sense to advertise Nicorette to non-smokers who have nothing to do with this whole thing. So, and therefore, um, if you go classic media, which plays its role, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of TV when you need to build a brand and need to have reach. So that's not the point, but I think, but I think when you have specific offers where people, where it's not for everybody, you lose so much of your media money. And so now with digital, we can be very targeted. And of course, now we can buy all sort of data and um, can can really be targeted and also target specific messages to specific sub-target groups. And that's where I think marketing, marketing OTC of, of everything, I know that, but I mean, we're talking OTC here, has radically changed. And maybe some companies are still looking for the right mix, which is fine because things are, things are in, in fast move. But our marketing has radically changed, and and I, I still think it's a it's a good mix, the right mix between professional, between um, direct to consumer, and then the mix of the right medium. And that may also vary by category. For example, I would say if you market pain or cough cold, that everybody has that. So there are moments when you want to go for the big reach. So, um, but that's that's all in in flux. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Over the Counter so far. Don't forget to follow Pharma Intelligence Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify and TuneIn. Also check out HPW Insight at hpw.pharmaintelligence.informa.com for all the latest health, beauty and wellness news and intelligence. Keep listening. This episode continues now. I'm just wondering um, what you would say to someone starting their career now. And you mentioned how you, you know, you're keen to develop new leaders and play that kind of mentoring role now um, as a consultant. Well, I'm, I would say, I mean, first of all, you know, and that's that's industry agnostic. I mean, it has to do with leadership. Um, I think 
nowadays, when I started to to get leadership roles, you didn't have coaching or I mean all these programs, you know, and you have you had much less leadership training, or you got it when you when you were very advanced, when I mean when you were already more experienced, then you got the leadership trainings. So I think today people have the opportunity to more consciously decide to be a leader or to understand their own leadership because it doesn't mean that you need to have 100 people reporting into you to be a leader you can it starts with leading yourself so i think that's really important also to to think about what the kind of leader do i want to be and and then also figure out what's the company i'm working for is that does this company need leadership like i am or should i adapt or do i need to look for a different company but i think there are some principles that you need to to absorb and of course what's clear what's absolutely clear is these old hierarchic systems are not the systems of the future anymore so um i mean empowering teams you know delegating uh, leading more from the background i think that's something that that's really important and let people let people do it their own way and i may tell you from my experience uh, maybe without the theory behind it but i always felt like if i'm hiring people and I try to do my very best job. Of course, I also had failures like everybody, but you hire people so you trust them. You think they, they can, right? So then shouldn't I give them the opportunity to prove themselves? And I mean, let them do it their way until something goes wrong. And then I, I may tell them, try it this way. But in principle, let them, let them, you know, flourish. And that's something that has really well worked for me as a people leader. And people appreciated that. And obviously, what's clear is you need to you need to stand behind them. If it if it doesn't work, they need to know that you will be there if if things go wrong, that you are you're really standing behind them and 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 supporting them. So I think that's fundamentally a, 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 a something that leaders should should take into account. And I think it's I even don't want you know to say well servant leadership is the name of gamer. So I think it's. It's just good leadership, whatever it's whatever it's called. And and I mean, we know that many people also are unhappy at work because they're not recognized by their managers or they don't get encouragement. I think that's also it's, it's so important. And if, if we think ourselves, we also we all live on that. And it's not just the salary why we go to work. We also we want to get recognition and, and we want to get development opportunities and grow, etc. And I think that's what leaders should be very conscious about. Now talking. Talking about uh, OTC specifically, um, I mean, of course, you have people who grow in OTC, but very often, specifically when there's a recruitment at a more senior level, uh, basically are the two options. Most people come from FMCG and then some come from pharma. And as I said earlier, OTC is sitting in between. It has a bit of both, which, which is good and bad. But um, I think FMCG... Uh, uh, leaders who come there, they think that OTC is a bit of a, a, a bit boring version of, of classic CPG, right? And and I think my advice would be avoid arrogance. Take the time, and I've I've seen that. I've I've uh, I've I have a, a few examples in my mind. I mean, take the time to really understand what makes a difference. Understand regulatory. Uh, people consider regulatory often as a burden. I think, and that's I always said that regulatory can be a big strategic weapon 
if you play it right, if you understand it and play it right, because it may mean you get better claims and you get your product earlier and you you just make much more money, as simple as that. So understand regulatory, understand how to do clinical studies, understand how to do good claims and, and the potential of claims, because very often CPT people want to launch new products all the time. A good new claim in OTC can give you as much it may be more in a, in a faster period of time. So these are things people need to learn. They need to learn how to do professional marketing because you don't you don't bring that necessarily. You need to learn, you need to understand the pharmacy channel because in many of our markets, that's that's still the main channel. And you and and um, I think it and you need to understand uh, governmental affairs. You need to understand how all that works because uh, I mean yes, it also applies to many industries. But I think in pharma, it's it's eventually even more impactful than in some others. So so I think that's what people from CPG need to keep in mind. Now, pharma people often come with the idea, oh, you know, that's just a bit of a, a smaller, less profitable uh, drug business. And I think they need to understand that they need to learn consumer marketing because they usually, if you grew, if grew up in pharma only, you don't know that. So you need to start, you understand from the bottom, you need to, understand, to learn consumer marketing and need to understand what it takes to build a brand. I just think that's uh, absolutely fascinating uh, advice. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. From even just as a journalist learning about this industry, it took me quite a while to work out exactly how it works because it, it is that strange uh, crossover, isn't it? Uh, yeah. And I think yeah. you're right, you know, you do have to understand the regulatory uh you know health system kind of framework there as well as you know how you build a brand and you know how you sell things how you get consumers on board so that's really interesting you know i must say you i came when i joined Pfizer, i came from l'oreal and i had this you know this classic consumer marketing in mind and and you look at these boxes with in it you know and I, I do admit that if you come from a classic uh, FMCG business it may your first appeal your first idea may be hmm, well, you know it's a bit boring but but you know it's not because you can be so much more entrepreneurial if you if you understand the, the levers of it so I thought maybe um, we could talk a little bit about your time in ASGP now um, mm-hmm. how did the ASGP change uh, during the time that you were involved? When I became president, there was a time when we, so that was 2016, we had a, a generation change at the leadership, at the, um, at the managing director level. And so uh, there was quite a, a cut. And so we started with a new team. And um, uh, thanks God, uh, the, the, the former managing director helped me, helped me in recruiting these people because recruiting governmental affairs people is different than recruiting a marketeer. And it's you need to have the right access as well. So um, and we were able to hire Juratem and uh, and 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 Maud. Actually, Maud was there, but we promoted her. So we had we were able to create a fantastic duo of a, a pharmacist and an experienced uh, governmental affairs person and a lawyer, which is also absolutely critical. Given that at the end of the day, what does ASGP deal with? It's at the end of the day, it's it's regulation. So it's all about law. And so um, um, I think we went through a, a very 
intense period because we also figured out that there was the timing to really modernize AHTP, to digitize it, to give to 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 modernize its its workflows, its processes. We also felt that there was it was the time to set up and to update our governance system uh, and to make the whole organization much more transparent. And of course, we also needed to create um, work teams that didn't exist before, like for example, sustainability. Um, there was a need that that uh, imminently came and we needed to staff it uh, and to make it a, a priority or um, we created a, a, a team for act, active ingredient defense, which is a big problem for our industry. So um, and so I think there was a lot of, of uh, groundwork which was done, which was, by the way, also a lot of fun because we were um, a, a great also there, a great executive committee and a great board. Um, and this, I mean, we knew it early enough, but but we had, so I th I think we had like two years to do our internal job, but that then helped made us ready to take over the to take the big challenge, which is from my perspective probably the biggest challenge since HGP exists, which is the new EU truck law, and and the green deal, and uh, so we are having workflows and a number of projects which like never before. And I'm I'm happy to say that I think we were ready for it, and we we had set up the right work teams and 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 subgroups, and in also involving all the expertise of our of our companies because they're great people, you know. But we need to tap into them because as an association, you never I mean you don't get the money to hire uh, an armada of people who does the work. So we ta successfully tapped into our our uh, members, and I think so far so good. I mean, obviously we all don't know the end of it, but so far so good. We're pr we're pretty proud about the professionalism how we we're doing it, and so far we could give our opinion or make contributions. And what what makes me most proud is that's what I hear is is that we get respect and trust from the EU authorities, which is hard to get, to be quite honest. And we are proud when they come to us and 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 ask us something. Yeah, I mean that's a great overview. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, you see, I okay, I started my job just after um, the kind of change in in leadership at ASGP, and I think, mm -hmm. like you say, Urata and Maud make quite a formidable uh, team. Um, and yeah, there's there's definitely been that kind of deep professionalisation, hasn't there? And and the, the range of things that the ASGP managed to do like you say with the green deal the pharmaceutical legislation re revision everything else you know it's amazing um so it's definitely it's definitely a good shape i think the ASGP today yeah thank you thank you it makes me very very, very happy to hear that yeah <laughs> um i suppose one other thing i was wondering is why it was important for you to be the president why, like, why did you take on that role? Why was that important for you to do personally? You know, it was a bit of, it, but a bit was a bit of a natural, a natural uh, development. I was, I joined the board, I think, in twenty, uh, twenty, no, twenty nine, and then a couple of years later, I got vice president. But that is also to do a bit, you know. I mean, it's not just that I was so genius. I mean, you know, it depends the company that you represent. But then I think what what distinguished me maybe was that, you know, I figured out we got these booklets to read and it's all legal stuff, which is not the biggest fun for me. You know, I'm a marketeer. So 
but I mean, that's that's the essence of it. And so I thought to myself, you know, if I'm reading all that, I mean, then I also want to say something. I'm not just traveling to Brussels to have um, to have Mulfrit. Yeah. So so um, I thought, you know, I I mean, I seriously engaged there and I started, you know, uh, just getting I mean, get, getting deeper into it. And and of course, what's sometimes difficult in in a in a board like HTP, if you have, and we have had that recently, you have people, you know, we have um, heads of Europe who rotate every two three years. So and you know how long it takes for a new law. So in principle, um, many people don't have the full picture, and it's even harder if people come from a different industry into these roles and they are still working on the fundamentals of it. So, so basically, uh, I was then there at some point one of the most experienced, if not the experienced board member, and it was I think it was pretty natural. And, and I spoke up because I thought, you know, that's the that that's why you go there to have a discussion and to uh, to to hope to to get something a better outcome for the industry. And so it was I think it was pretty natural then at that time that I had to when I got when I became president, I didn't know that under my leadership we had to to modernize the whole thing, you know, that that evolved then later. And of course, you mentioned all of the the kind of massive uh, regulatory changes that are happening now that started when you were president, but we haven't talked about the pandemic yet. Obviously, that you also had, you know, something that has never happened before, uh, you know, in our kind of lifetimes. <laughs> <laughs> what was that like yeah you know managing ASGP also just I suppose in industry you know what was it like being in the uh, a leader in the OTC industry during the pandemic I think that was really uh you could show that you're a leader in that moment you know as you know I since with the change I portfolio um I I, I have the typical categories digestive health cough and cold, um, pain, smoking cessation. And you could see, I mean, we all, depending on the portfolio someone has, you know, we could see, I think in March, um, in March 20, um, the pain business went up like crazy and we couldn't supply anymore. Nobody could could supply anymore, um, the typical analgesics. And they, I think we also had like six weeks of great sales of cough and cold and then it it dropped. And we basically sold nothing anymore, you know. And in big companies where you're so you're supposed to do forecasts, that's thanks God I had I was I I had um uh, also a European president who who knows OTC inside out as much as I do Pet Smallcomp. So so I think there was a good understanding uh, because it was impossible. So um, I think we all went in in that industry went through that that same roller coaster. Um, then, for example, we also saw that that we are we were market we are market leader on emodium uh, on, on on diarrhea, which also went and we didn't understand. And then we figured out people didn't go to to work anymore. And if you're at home, you have access to your bathroom. So so um, it was it it was crazy to understand all that. But I, I think also talking now the my colleagues at AHTP, we kept cold blood. I think at some point we understood that we cannot change this fundamentally, um, but we try to 
which I think our number one effort then was really to try to serve the market as good as we could. I mean, I know that we couldn't serve everything, but we, we, we gave it our very best shot. And I must also say, and that's not only change, also other companies, you know, I mean, the people back in the supply chain, they they killed themselves. They really killed themselves. And and obviously the workers in the plant had to go under under COVID conditions uh, to work. And it's something that I think we collectively felt very proud of in, in this industry. Um, now, at some point we set up, uh, I think uh, after two weeks when it started, we set up weekly calls, you know, and 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 tried to, to gather everything that was happening that was relevant to us. But then we had moments when you may remember, you know, when even in, within EU borders started closing again, which was something I mean never could imagine. Um, or all of a sudden India said we need our paracetamol here, so we don't export it anymore, knowing that most of it comes from there. So I think there were very difficult situations, and I must say, uh, Mord and and Urate, they were very proactive and they did what it what it took. So. Um, I think also at at EU level, um, they were flexible. They were uh, they were ready to talk to so just to improve the situation. And so altogether, uh, I think it was it was a good collaboration. And um, particularly thanks to Modern and Jurate and their teams, they could fix them. They could fix many things in a timely manner. And and I, I mean as an outcome of it. I would say in such a crisis situation, you could realize how important it was to speak with one voice and to have somebody there. Because, I mean, if I'm sitting in, in, in Zug, Switzerland, um, in all honesty, I don't know whom to talk to in Brussels. And I, I'm sure for many of my colleagues, it would be the same. Uh, so I, I think that was the moment to understand the importance of it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Over the Counter. Listen out for the second part of this interview in two weeks and check out the further reading section of the article published on hbw.farmerintelligence.informer.com for related news and intelligence. And don't forget to follow, share and comment on Farmer Intelligence Podcasts on the platform of your choice. See you next time.